Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti, sitting here with Robin from End Hunger, Connecticut. How, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. So, Robin, tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been executive director with End Hunger, Connecticut. I have been here um, almost two years, uh, just when I was celebrating my one-year anniversary COVID hit. So it's been a, quite an experience for me, for sure. <laughs> Um, prior to that, I started my career in Washington, so I actually worked in both the House and the Senate um, for Diane Feinstein and Lynn Woolsey and the House Approach Committee, and then um, at NASA and the FBI, which is quite a combination. Moved really? upstate wow. New York, yep, and then came to Connecticut to coach Division One volleyball. Um, I was the volleyball coach at Quinnipiac during the Title IX lawsuit. And then got back into policy. So um, I've been in Bridgeport working on children's and children's health issues. Was in New Britain doing a collective impact um, program where it was really about how you, can you improve the outcomes of children. And now I'm back at the state level, which is great because it's a, it's a nice complement between my federal experience and my grassroots experience to bring to the issues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, you like it? I do like it. Um, yesterday I had a great day because I got to talk cross sector and systems like on the economic um, economic recovery report that I got interviewed and talked to someone else talking about how can we, you know, look at communities and really make change happen because hunger is an economic issue. So if you're going to really solve hunger, you have to really solve some of the root causes that have, are in the economy to start with and in job training. So. Um, it's been fun for me because I because I have such a varied background to be able to bring the hunger issue into other spaces. Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm and I'm sure during the pandemic, the especially now, the hunger issue is a pretty hot button issue. Oh, it's uh, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it really is. We run a SNAP call center and do SNAP outreach, okay. so we help residents do SNAP applications, and it's bilingual and it's weekends and evening hours to really help families. We normally would get four to 500 calls a month prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It went quadrupled right away. And by August, it was 100 calls a day. Oh, wow. So the need is really great out there. It's a lot of folks who've never needed assistance before. So they really need that help on going through the system. And, you know, and I think the other thing that's really affecting us in Connecticut is there are a lot of folks who are facing food insecurity, but they don't qualify for any benefits. They have a job. They just lost income maybe or lost commissions or whatever, and their bills are the same. So food is the one thing families can find, um, you know, more easily, but you shouldn't have to rely on the kindness of strangers to feed your children. And that's something that I really am pretty passionate about. So what can we do to change the system? so that this doesn't happen again. I mean, food act, we have plenty of food in our country. It's about the access and being able to get to it. Right. So what can we do to change? What, what can we do to change it? Well, I mean, one of the things I think, you know, everybody sees the food drives and food pantries and, and makes donations, which is great for an immediate, but that doesn't help the economy on top of it. If we could increase right. SNAP benefits, then you're keeping people employed because people are shopping in the grocery stores and the folks in the grocery store keep their jobs. So, you know, every dollar SNAP is shown to have a dollar eighty, about a dollar eighty in economic impact. And, oh, okay. you know, it SNAP feeds nine times as many people as a food pantry. I mean, it's, there's all there's all kinds of statistics out there. There just hasn't been the political will. 
And yesterday, someone was asking me about that. And I said, you know, it'd be great if the state ran a program that you, you know, maybe it's state supplementing however they want to do it, but folks can use that at restaurants. Now you can get servers back working. You know, all those service industries that we need to those folks to get back working so they're not evicted, so they aren't on SNAP, but we're helping the families at the same time. Um, you know, it's it's thinking differently and outside the box, but I think COVID has, you know, really created opportunities to do that instead of doing the same old thing because the same old thing's not working or we wouldn't be where we are right now. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the SNAP program. What what exactly is it and how does it work? Well, the SNAP program used to be called food stamps. So, um, you know, many people know it as food stamps, but it's a supplemental nutrition assistance program. So it's called SNAP now. Uh, It's not, you know, it's a pretty extensive application. The benefits, you know, the minimum benefits are $16 a month, which isn't very Mm -hmm. much. You know, you'd really like to see that minimum benefit increased. And it and it's not always easy, and not everybody who qualifies applies. I think there's folks who think someone needs it more than me, but it's a federal program that no one. If you qualify, you're not taking it away from someone else. So we're doing a lot of outreach to really, especially find older adults, because many of them don't apply. Um, mm-hmm. We know that the participation rate among older adults is very low. So we really are doing some work. We've already done some work in Danbury. Um, we've been working with the Tufts Health Foundation to really think about how do we reach older adults in a new way, um, probably training some cust- trusted messengers that can go out into the community and really use the faith-based community to try to reach folks to help them get some SNAP benefits. Absolutely, absolutely. So how, how have you guys been doing since the pandemic started and how does the pandemic basically affect your day-to-day operations? We've gone remote. Um, okay. I, in February, actually, we sat down, um, one of my staff members and I, and started planning for it because I just saw the writing on the wall. I said, there's no way we're all going to be working in this office. So let's make sure we have the technology in place and a plan. So we could flip, we flipped very fast into remote. And as long as there's, until we have a vaccine, it just doesn't pay or make any sense for all of us to be back in an office. And I'm not sure we'll all ever at once be back in the office. I think what the pandemic has shown is people can be incredibly productive wherever they are, as long as they have the right tools to do so. But I think the one thing that it's really done is we're very fortunate that early on, some of the funders in the state offered up additional grants so we could hire additional staff for our SNAP call center. Uh, we really needed to staff up because the number of calls coming in and still is crazy. So we are been really working on fundraising to make sure we can support additional help for families in the SNAP call center while at the same time, you know, improving the work we do with advocacy, helping communities with school meals, um, all of the other wonderful work that we do as well. Let's talk about the advocacy program and mm-hmm. exactly what what happens and what what you guys do when when you work with the schools and everything. Well, advocacy really is. I mean, some of it's administrative. There's different kinds of advocacy. I would say that there's little A and there's big A. Um, okay. You know, sometimes you're doing advocacy, helping families, you know, get through the system and advocate for themselves. Sometimes it's um, helping communities really work with their school district to make sure that the needs of the community are being met. The school meals, we're working with the School Nutrition Association to really figure out how can we 
help the schools really promote the school meals and, and get more people to use them. They're free right now for every child and they're not being utilized the way they should be. And mm -hmm. by using them, you're helping your school district. You're helping keep your people employed at the school district while also helping feed your family. Um, so we're really trying to come up with a marketing campaign that will really kick off in January. Because right now everything's going to get lost with the holidays. It's, you know, 24-7 yeah, holidays. Um, but really to highlight the work that our, that people have been doing at the schools and the food service directors and anybody working at food service has gone beyond themselves um, to really try to make sure children are eating. So we do work there. And then we do advocacy. We work very closely with our congressional delegation. Um, many of the programs that we work on are federal. So we'll do a lot of work at the federal level on SNAP advocacy, um, working to try to get, you know, writing letters with the administration to get waivers so that we could do a lot of things like we have with school meals and other things in the state. And then, you know, when the new Congress or new legislative session here happens, last year we were working on college hunger bill. Hopefully that, you know, it went through committee and then, well, there went the rest of the legislative session. So yeah, right. <laughs> hopefully that bill will move again. I, I saw um, Congressman Josh Elliott has put, you know, he's going to be one of the co-chairs. So um, we'll be contacting him soon about that. We'd like to see universal school meals happen. Um, we've shown how important they are. A lot of families have taken advantage of it during COVID. It's working during COVID. So let's just keep that going. Uh, you know, it's going to help children with, you know, educational outcomes kids who are hungry are more likely to act up. I mean, you know that, I know yeah, that when I'm hungry, you know, you get to the hangry yeah. point. Exactly. <laughs> and if you're exactly. six years old, you're not gonna control that. So no. like, let's make sure that kids have enough food to eat, breakfast, lunch, and hopefully after school supper kind of meals, because it's a great place and it's a safe place for children to go ahead and get high nutritional meals. And then, you know, there, there, I'm sure there'll be some other issues that come up at the state level. We've done a lot of work with pantries and just the advocacy with them really has been how do they um, modernize some of their approaches and, and how can we create a system to help them be able to access additional food. Our two food banks are doing wonderful work, but even they can't supply all the food that's needed at the local level. So how can we create a system where they can pool their resources to get the best price for the food instead of all of them just going to Costco? and buying whatever's on the shelf. So it's a lot of different work we're doing, but I think it's all work that's gonna help change the system and make things better for families. Absolutely. Now you said you work with, you're working with, is it Representative Josh Elliott? Well, he just got named. Last year we worked with Representative Greg Haddad and, okay. um, and it, the bill was passed. We went right through the congressional hearing. Um, okay. In fact, it was my first time. I, I've done you know work at the federal level and, right. and worked in Congress there, but I hadn't done it at the state level. And a colleague of mine from another organization, we had the bill and got it through, made some changes we wanted, had the hearing, and she goes, this is the easiest I've ever done one. I'm like, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, right. you have no idea, Robin. Um, yeah, right. But it was really a bipartisan supported bill, which would say basically that one, if you get work study, whether you find a work study position or not, that counts towards your work requirement for SNAP. That yeah. if you're in a training program and that training program can be a two year program or four year program that leads to a job that counts as your work hours towards SNAP. 
Right. And that's a, something that's going on. Other states have started to do that. So for instance, if you're in a four-year program to be a teacher, that leads directly to a job that counts towards your work requirement. So that college students who are hungry can get SNAP more easily versus trying to take a full load of classes, try to work 20 hours a week on top of it, then try to then qualify for SNAP. We wanna try to smooth that out for college students. And hunger is a huge issue on campuses, um, hunger and homelessness. and we can tackle the hunger a little easier than the homelessness here only because it's winter. And right. you know, like California has a big issue on college homelessness, kids live in their cars. We really can't do that here even. So mm -hmm. kids are couch surfing and doing a lot of other things just to get through college. So we thought it, if we can tackle the hunger issue first, then we'll find our partners at CCEH and, and try to help them um, on the homelessness issue for, for college students. Now, what is CCEH? The Connecticut Coalition to End Homelessness. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you guys work pretty pretty well with them? We've done a little bit here and there. When they need assistance, I've helped do some training for them. Um, the head of their organization, Richard, and I keep saying we're going to get together because we live in the same town. Okay. Um, and we just, COVID has kind of gotten in the way for our being able to meet in person. But we, we do a lot of work in the same circles. So it, it's a natural ally. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what 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 do you, what are you guys expecting to see during the legislative session when they finally reconvene in January and is it going do we know if it's going to be virtual or is everybody going to be up at the capitol You know I haven't heard exactly how they're going to do anything I'm going to guess it's be a combination um, yeah, just probably. sort of like schools are mm -hmm. um, I haven't heard completely, but I have a feeling it's going to be all COVID all the time. Right. <laughs> like that's pretty much what it's going to be and budget. Um, I think that's really going to be driving the session this time. And it needs to, I mean, we've got some big issues to face as a state. We're way ahead of a lot of other states. Um, I'm pretty proud of the way we've handled COVID. Uh, my daughter goes to school in Indiana and I was born there and okay. it's a very different approach to COVID out there compared oh, yeah. to here. And um, even my parents, they're in Florida and, mm -hmm. and it's so hard on them. So I think if we can, you know, we're a state that works pretty well together. And I think COVID has forged new relationships. You know, mm -hmm. we've worked really closely with the emergency management regional teams. And that's not something that hunger groups have done in the past, but this mm -hmm. has enabled us to forge new relationships and those relationships, I think, will carry forward during the economic recovery because I think everybody will be pulling weight the same way. And, and that's going to be really helpful for our state, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as far as what do you what's End Hunger Connecticut looking to accomplish during the legislative session this year? Oh, well, you know, like we're just going to end homelessness and put ourselves out of business. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's it. That's it. Sure. That's simple. Um, you know, I think I, you know, I'd love to see universal school meals happen. I think that's something, you know, there's a number of us in this state who would like to see that happen because I think right now, many of our, our lunch, you know, and our, our lunch serving and nutrition departments and food mm -hmm. service departments, they're in, they're not making money. They're in the red because they're not serving as many meals as they normally would. Right. So this, this state is going to end up, or uh, you and I are going to end up paying extra to those schools to make up the difference. 
when we could just say, let's just make it universal school meals, get the money out there because you're going to pay for it either way. No one wants to see school meals programs disappear. So can't we just decide, okay, this is just something we're going to do as a state. It's the right thing. And ultimately it saves us money in other areas, saves you money with kids, you know, more successful in schools. So then you're not going to have as many discipline issues. You're going to have better health outcomes. Um, there's just a whole lot of long-term things that it will help if we can get kids eating nutritionally early on. So I think that's going to be a big one for us that we're really going to try to push. And tell us a little bit about the organization. You guys, you guys obviously reach all over the state of Connecticut. Yes. We're the only statewide um, food insecurity organization in the state. Well, in Connecticut. Where yeah. are you? And you, 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 guys, you guys actually work with all the different school systems and all the other. Yep. School the other systems, areas. communities, social service departments, um, senior centers, um, food pantries, I, and my background is outside of food, so okay. we're doing some work with health organizations because I know them right. um, and really trying to build, build some bridges with other organizations that hadn't really thought about health and food right. necessarily or yeah. early childhood. Uh, you know, we've worked a little bit with the early childhood community. Mm -hmm. I, I know some of them from previous jobs, so I think that's been fun for me. And then we're working with farmers markets. One of the th programs that we run is doubling SNAP dollars at farmers markets and working with farmers markets. So it's a pretty varied group that we work with, but I think that's important because it's not an easy issue to just solve. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And, and you just said you guys work with farmers markets. How, 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 how does that we work? have a, we're part of a, a group that has um, that administers the GusNIP grant. It's a federal grant which allows doubling of SNAP dollars to be used for fresh produce. So we do that with farmers markets, um, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. We all work together. We just had a big call this week about the next round of the grant. Mm -hmm. But we have 31 outlets in the state right now where someone can go in with SNAP and they get two for one basically. So for every dollar, they'll get another dollar worth of product um, at the market. So it's a really great program to help move local produce and also at the same time, really allow SNAP recipients to purchase fresh, fresh food. And Absolutely. Now let's talk about the effects on hunger and the food system. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're really related. I'm not sure what, like, what kind of effects do you mean? Just just the effects in general, the effects well, in general, and what people can do. Well, I think you know it, it's been really interesting. Every community is very different on what's yeah. how you know what's going on in their community, and I think mm -hmm. one of the things that would be really great is in your community is to just check in and see what do they really need. Sometimes pantries, they need food. Other times they need money. Right. Um, you know, it could be um, that there's soup kitchens that need volunteers so that you could come in and give them some time because many volunteers were older and right now are not going to go volunteer anywhere. Right. So I think there's a lot of interesting work there. One of the things that happened early in this, the, um, the pandemic was the food supply chain. And that was, I mean, all of us saw it at the grocery store. You couldn't find toilet paper. Um, exactly. And other things like that. 
And that's where that dynamic comes in, or sometimes everybody goes out and buy something and retailers are the first ones who will get a shot at it from suppliers. So then when food banks and food pantries try to go and purchase the same thing, they can't. And it just, or the price just keeps going up. Mm -hmm. And so really getting a handle on economically how the food supply chain works and how our behaviors are affecting it is something that I don't think a lot of people understand. I certainly didn't before this started. Right. And I think that is another thing that really affects the system. One of the great thing that's, that has come out of this is that a lot of folks have then started really paying attention to local markets. So local farmers and purchasing CSAs, going to farmers markets, really appreciating um, the work that's being done by our farmers. And they're just as critical a part of our food system. In fact, they're probably the most important part of our food system because they produce the food. Right. So that local support really is helping to keep our economy going. Um, so anything people can do to support those local, local agents or local businesses that are in the food system, I think is important. Exactly. Obviously right now, because it's going to be the beginning of winter, the farmer's market's probably closed until next spring. Some have, some haven't. Some are oh, year round. So you have to really kind of check and see in your area. Um, and some have farm stands that are open year round. You know, it may not be the outside market, but right. we'll have a farm stand and have different products. And sometimes it's processed now. Now you can find the jams and the, you know, maple syrup is just as much a you know, a product in the winter as any in the spring. So local dairy, that's going year round. <laughs> Cows don't stop. No, so, they don't. so I think there's plenty of ways you can still support that. Hey, Robin, if people want more information about the End Hunger Connecticut and all the work that you guys do, where can they go? You can go to our website, which okay. is endhungerct.org. You okay. can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, or on Instagram. We're on oh. all three. So, yep. um, you just look up at the and hunger CT and, we'll and we, to, I'm sorry. Go go ahead. No, I say we really try to keep, um, Oh, we're also on LinkedIn. I forgot about that one, but we try oh. to keep really relevant national material and statewide material out there. So folks who are curious about what's going on can go and look there. If you're looking for information about school meals in your, in your locality, their best mm -hmm. source right now is your school district is calling, checking your school district website or calling your school because there's been so many waivers and changes that have happened that it's hard to get one list and every community is handling it different. Some do right. bus routes, some have pickup spots, some have it at different times. So, um, and because kids are, some are hybrid, some are in person, some are remote completely. So you really, your best bet there is to check with your local school district. Cool. Well, Robin from Hunger, Connecticut, we're about running out of time. So I want to thank you for coming down. Hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Sure. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Robin. Have a good night. On behalf of Robin, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks. Good night. And we'll see you next time.